0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories from the Old West. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today's short story is called The Story of Well Henderson. It was written as part of a short story collection by Henry Inman called Tales of the Trail, Western Life. There were many people who came to the West. Most of their names have been lost in the mists of history. And every now and then, you get a little gem like this one about a guy you never heard of. And it reminds you so much of what life was really like out there. I hope you enjoy the story of Wall Henderson. And now our story. In one of the busy little mining camps just over the range in New Mexico there prowled around about 25 years ago, a notorious character whose life was made up of desperate adventures and whose tragic death, which is the subject of this sketch, illustrates the inevitable fate of the average border bully. Wal Henderson was born and raised, as he termed it, in Missouri. He came over the mountains into the New Mexico mines from Colorado soon after the first discovery of gold in the Moreno Hills, where he staked off a claim in Humbug Gulch and commenced working in an apparently honest way. He was a rough, illiterate fellow, possessing the physique of a giant, courageous as a she-grizzly with cubs, and such a dead shot with his revolver that he soon became a terror to the whole mountain population. He was a desperado in its fullest sense, without one redeeming quality, except that he was kind to his dog, a wicked-looking cur, fit companion for such a surly master. Any more intercourse with Wall than was absolutely necessary was carefully avoided by everyone, and the idea of getting into a dispute with him, who would rather shoot than eat, never entered the heads of those who worked claims in the vicinity, so that, virtually, he commanded the respect of a king." One afternoon, Wall was seized with a desire to start up on a little prospecting tour to another portion of the range, where he suspected the existence of a quartz lead. He left his claim in the gulch only partially opened, never dreaming for an instant that anyone would have the temerity to jump it in his absence, after they had discovered that he owned it, which he took good care they could easily learn, for before he went, he asked one or more of his educated neighboring miners to come over and cut his name on a dead pine stump that stood near the mouth of his pit. That friend was nothing loath to oblige his surly comrade, so just after dinner he came over, and with his keen bowie knife slashed out a huge Wall Henderson, his claim, on the dead stump. It took him nearly two hours to complete his literary labors, while Wall stood by impatiently watching him, and when his friend had just finished the last touch of his rude letters, he remarked, Well, I guess there ain't no one going for to touch that dar." Then, swinging his pick and shovel over his shoulder, he whistled to his dog, "'took his bearings by a look at the sun, "'started down the canyon on a sort of shuffling trot, "'and was soon out of sight. "'He was gone for three days. "'When he returned, he found that his ground had been jumped "'by a party of Irish miners who had come into the diggings "'during his absence. "'Wall, in as quiet a manner as his bulldog nature permitted, "'told them to get, "'but they swore they would hold the claim in spite of him, "'and even if he was as big as Finn McCool, "'they would fight him. "'Wall smothered his rage for the moment.' Coolly walked off to his cabin, where he armed himself with two revolvers, a Spencer carbine, and a wicked looking IXL blade, and started back to the gulch determined to drive the intruders away or kill them if necessary. It mattered very little to him as to choice. Get out of this quick, jump, or I'll fill you full of holes, was Wall's greeting as on his return he came in sight of the intruders. "'but one of the plucky Irishmen made a break for Wall, "'intending to finish him by a well-directed blow from his shovel. "'Wall quickly brought down his revolver, "'killing his man instantly, "'the bullet hitting him in the forehead directly between the eyes, "'a spot that was Wall's invariable target, "'which in his list of nearly a score of victims "'he never failed to center. "'The two now thoroughly frightened companions of the dead miner "'fled to camp and told the story of the murder.' Wall, believing that he would have a crowd on his heels in a little while, started hurriedly for his cabin, proposing to light up for a while, as he said. But a mob of plucky men intercepted him. He was arrested, taken to camp, and confined in a little log building around which a guard was placed. As the news of Wall's latest exploit spread around the hills, the Irish miners flocked in from all directions, bent upon revenge. The people of the town expected a general outbreak between the Irish and American elements, if any resistance was offered to the infuriated friends of the murdered man in their attempt to take Wall from the improvised jail, which they openly proclaimed they would do as soon as night came on. The building used for the incarceration of Wall was an abandoned log store, about sixteen feet square. The interstices of the logs were chinked with mud, and the whole surmounted by brush and dirt roof. In the corner of the room, after the Mexican fashion, a huge but rude fireplace had been constructed of stone and earth, "'from which a large chimney composed of the same material communicated with the open air through the roof above. "'No sooner had the heavy door closed on wall than he began an accurate survey of his quarters, "'with a view of escaping as soon as the mob he confidently expected should make their appearance. "'One glance at the immense fireplace, which yawned like the opening to a cave, "'and a look at the clear sky above through the chimney, satisfied him that he would be out of his prison and up some mountain gulch before his intended captors could think twice. Shortly after dark, a motley crowd of rough miners, half-crazed with the villainous liquors they'd been drinking all the afternoon, assembled at the jail. They at once ordered the guard away, fired their pistols in the air, and made the very hills ring with their curses and imprecations upon the prisoner within the little hut. We'll return with our story right after these sponsor messages. And now back to the story of Wall Henderson, by Henry Inman. Wall, meanwhile, had determined to escape. In fact, at the very time the crowd had reached the door, he was on the roof, quietly waiting for the mob to make a rush inside, at which moment he proposed to leap to the ground from the rear of the building. He waited for the signal, which soon came in the shape of a volley of pistol and carbine shots, and a wild yell from the would-be avengers, who, with a desperate rush, made for the door. Under the pressure, it flew from its fastenings, and swung open with a loud report, throwing half a dozen of the mob upon the dirt floor. For a moment or two, no one could enter, as those nearest the door became wedged together, while the pressure from the crowd in the rear held them more securely imprisoned than Wall, who at this juncture jumped from the roof, and, to use his own expression, lit out in a lively manner. When the crowd became aware that Wall had escaped, they threatened to lynch the guard, and but for the intercession of some of the cooler-headed and less drunken members of the party, no doubt their threats would have been carried into execution. They divided into little bands and scoured the camp, visiting every suspected house or hole where their game might possibly be secreted, and it was not until early morning that the search was abandoned. The following day the events of the preceding night were fully discussed, and as many conjectures were suggested in relation to Wall's escape and whereabouts as there were groups of men, each had his own theory, each knew exactly how and when he got away. Old Sam Bartlett, a short, thick-set, grizzly veteran miner, expressed it as his opinion that Wall went up that there chimney and by this year's time is well-heeled somewhere near camp, surrounded by a battery of small arms, and ready to fight the whole outfit." Sam's surmises proved true. No sooner had Wall made his escape than he went to his own den for a moment to secure arms and ammunition, then to an abandoned tunnel about a mile up the nearest gulch, where he immediately commenced to fortify his position, prepared to sell his life as dearly as possible if the mob pursued him. As he afterwards said, he didn't intend to pass in his checks until he made a sieve of a few of them. The Mexican woman with whom he lived proved a faithful ally— Under the shadow of the night, she secretly conveyed food and blankets, never revealing to a soul where her americano was, always earnestly denying any knowledge of the fugitive. For nearly a week, Wall lived in the abandoned mining tunnel. At the expiration of that time, when the excitement had somewhat subsided, and it was generally supposed he had fled the country, he quietly walked into camp at midnight, broke open a stable, took out a horse, saddled him, and galloped off to Tows, which place he reached next morning injustice to Wall, let it be said he was not a professional horse-thief. He had not gotten so low as that. But having perfect faith in the old saw that self-preservation is the first law of nature, he seized upon the only reliable means to escape strangling by a mob. On his arrival at Taos, where he felt secure, he returned the animal to his owner with thanks, complimenting him on his architectural skill in constructing a stable that could be entered so easily, and upon the endurance of his horse that had carried him so well— a little more than a month later, the camp was somewhat startled one afternoon at Seeing Wall, riding down the main street mounted on a Mexican pony, with four revolvers buckled around his waist and a carbine slung across his back. Halting in front of a saloon, he alighted, and with a devil-may-care sort of nod to the loafers hanging around, invited them all in to take a drink. To the crowd at the bar he related his adventures since he had been among them, said he was tired of tows, and had come back to look after his mining interests up Humbug Gulch, which he thought he'd neglected far too long. He added, If any gentlemen were sympathizers with the would-be stranglers, he would be pleased to step out on the street and give them an exhibition of his peculiar manner of managing the portable battery he had provided himself with. No one seeming particularly anxious to witness the proffered entertainment, war was not declared, and after a round or two of tao's lightning, as Whiskey was called in those days, Wall quietly mounted his horse and made his way toward his little dugout where he was met by his faithful senora and provided with a bountiful repast of tortillas and frijoles, which is corn cake and beans. The excitement in camp gradually exhausted itself, and it was mutually agreed that Wall should not be molested if he kept away from Humbug Gulch. Wall apparently accepted the situation, turned his attention to the laudable ambition of supplying the camp with cordwood, and almost any day thereafter could be seen coming into town with his load. One day, about two months after he had settled himself down to legitimate pursuits, while sitting in the saloon, fatigued by a somewhat arduous morning's work, a party of Irish miners entered, all of whom were more or less under the influence of liquor. After bandying words with Wall in reference to his claim and the murder of their companion, one, rather more bold than discreet, approached Wall holding a large stone, and said, Be jabbers, Wall! You'd look better dead than alive! When Wall, as quick as thought, drew his pistol, and drawing a beat on the Irishman, said, "'Drop that rock!' The stone dropped. Wall quietly resumed his seat without another word, replaced his pistol in its holder, coolly lighted his pipe, and commenced to smoke. The gang were evidently bent on mischief, but Wall could not be intimidated, and made no move to leave his seat, but kept his keen eye on every act of the drunken mob. He listened coolly and indifferently for a while to the coarse jest and braggadocio threats cast at him. But there comes a moment when patience ceases to be a virtue, and comes soonest to men of such caliber as Wall. When another of the belligerents approached too near with an outrageous remark, Wall jumped to his feet and said, "'By God, I think I'll kill one of you just for luck, and put a stop to this damn nonsense.' Drawing out his pistol, he fired. The ball, as always— taking effect in the bridge of his victim's nose, passing through the right eye and coming out in front of the ear. At the report of the pistol, a crowd rushed in, but no one attempted to interfere with Wall, who took a position against the side of the room, where he invited anyone who wanted him to step up, but if anyone did, he'd make a sieve of him. No one desirous of being converted into that useful article just then. Not a soul stepped forward. The Alcalde and Sheriff were sent for, "'and soon arrived. "'Wall gave himself up "'and was reminded to his old quarters, "'the little log jail from which he had so successfully "'made his escape by way of the huge chimney "'on a former occasion. "'And by the way, the Alcalde "'is the Spanish title of a magistrate "'corresponding to the Justice of the Peace. "'The drunken companions "'of the murdered miner, immediately upon "'the arrest of Wall, started off to "'muster up a crowd of their countrymen, "'determined this time to mete out summary revenge upon the assassin of their comrade.' To preclude the possibility of an escape on the part of the prisoner, an additional guard was employed to watch the outside of the jail, and two men were posted on the roof. No going up that dark chimney this time. Shortly after dark, another mob, composed of the friends of Wall's last victim, poured into camp from the gulches and hills and proceeded directly to the jail, determined that this time their game should not slip through their fingers. In a few moments, the infuriated and howling would-be lynchers forced the door of the building open in the same manner as they had done before. But their bird had flown. Wall wasn't there. Knowing the desperate character of the men who had come to take his life, Wall had resolved to make a determined effort to get away from them if possible, when he first heard them surging and howling in the distance, and putting all his quick wits at work, soon decided what might be done. Standing at the side of the door as it was crushed from his fastenings, He allowed the crowd to tumble and rush pell-mell into the dark room, while he quickly slipped past them out into the street, walking slowly to the first corner, then shot into the night, and was free. The rage and disappointment of the exasperated miners on the discovery that their man had again eluded them can better be imagined than described. Wallace proceeded to his little home, took one of his horses from the stable, rode rapidly out of camp over a mountain trail, and in a few hours was miles away, "'where he found a safe retreat. "'The disappointed crowd on discovering that for the present, at least, "'Wall was beyond their power, slowly retired to their homes, "'swearing they would kill Wall on sight if he ever made his appearance in camp again. "'But a few days elapsed before Wall again dropped into town. "'Though strange as it may seem, no attempt was made to arrest him. "'For weeks everything about camp moved along quietly, "'and it was hoped that further disturbance was at an end.' One afternoon, however, while Wall was standing in front of one of the little stores scattered at intervals through the long main street of the town, engaged in conversation with a lot of miners who had congregated there, a horseman came galloping up the principal thoroughfare, halting directly in front of the door where Wall and his companions were talking. Taking a single glance at Wall, he exclaimed, You're the man I'm looking for! and drawing his revolver, commenced shooting. He fired three shots in rapid succession, "'Neither of which, however, took effect, "'but before he could cock his pistol again, "'which he was in the act of doing, "'Wall had drawn a bead on him and fired. "'The ball struck him in the trigger-thumb "'and thereby turned, "'or it would have found its proper center between the eyes. "'Finding himself disabled, "'the rider put spurs to his horse "'and fled to the friendly shelter of the nearest ravine, "'but soon returned dismounted, "'as he discovered that he had not been followed "'by the terrible Wall.' A crowd gathered round to shoot the wretch who had so deliberately jeopardized the lives of innocent citizens but he called out that he was wounded for God's sake not to kill him he would give himself up quietly if he could be permitted to see a doctor the doctor happened to be sitting in front of his office nearby and took him in and amputated his thumb he was then turned over to the sheriff who placed him in an unoccupied log building and appointed a guard to watch him during the night however Following in the footsteps of the illustrious wall, he eluded the vigilance of the guard, made good his escape, and ran to the mountains, where he was received by friends who were determined to protect him from rearrest. The following day, word was sent to the doctor to come out and dress his wounds. Obeying the summons, the doctor found him within a hundred yards of his cabin, at the site of a mining ditch, surrounded by an array of pistols, carbines, and knives, determined to resist any attempt to rearrest him the point selected commanding every avenue of approach up the mountain slope. Here he remained several days. He sent word to the Alcalde through some of his friends that he would die before giving himself up to the stranglers, but would submit if soldiers were to come for him. Upon this message of defiance, no further effort was made to capture, and the town lapsed once more into its wonted quietude. Even while Henderson became remarkably docile, no further disturbances occurring between him and the miners, the trouble ending, apparently, by mutual consent. Some months subsequent to the incidents related in the foregoing, the little camp was again thrown into a state of excitement, in consequence of a report of the robbery of the mail in the canyon between Elizabethtown and Ute Creek. It was brooded about, and it proved true, that when the coach, which made tri-weekly trips between the camp and the Cimarron to connect with the great southern Overland line, reached a lonely point in the canyon where the road was narrow and wound around a side hill covered with a dense growth of scrubby pines, Three disguised men would slip out "'and order the driver to halt. "'Then, without moving from their place "'on either side of the confined pass, "'with their rifles pointed toward him, "'demand that the express box be thrown from the boot. "'This modest request was always complied with, "'after which they ordered the driver to move on, "'much to the relief of the thoroughly frightened conductor "'and the two or three passengers inside. Five or six depredations of this character "'were committed in the course of a month.' The people in camp began to have their suspicions aroused, and many were the conjectures as to who the guilty parties could be. A company was formed to scour the canyon, but not even a clue of the highwaymen could be found, nor a place that exhibited any signs of a rendezvous. This fact confirmed the suspicions of the law-abiding portion of the community, that there existed in their midst at neighboring settlements on Uke Creek an organized band of road agents who started out only on favorable opportunities for carrying on their nefarious purposes. It was believed by many that persons residing in Elizabethtown kept a watch, advised their partners in this crime at U Creek at what time a large shipment of gold would probably be made, and the number of passengers with their names the coach would carry. Wall absented himself from the camp a day or two at a time, and it began to be murmured that he could tell, if he would, a great deal concerning these systematic robberies. It was even hinted that he not only directly aided and abetted the attacks on the coach, "'but took an active part himself. "'He was very reticent on the subject, "'and it was a fact commented upon by nearly everyone in camp "'that after an absence of two or three days "'he would invariably turn up the very morning after a robbery "'with a load of wood for sale, "'and as demurely ride through town on his little wagon "'as if such a thing as an attack on the coach the day before "'had never taken place. "'Of course, no positive proof of his complicity could be obtained, "'yet it was generally believed that he belonged to the gang.' The man who kept the principal saloon was well known throughout the territory, not only on account of his size and weight, but also in consequence of his insatiable thirst for bug juice and his dexterous manipulation of the cards, and he was withal a law-abiding citizen. He would tolerate nothing that was not strictly regular in the eye of the law. He wouldn't steal a horse or carry off a red-hot stove, but woe to the unfortunate and confiding individual who sat down to his game with the expectation of leaving with a cent in his clothes." His thorough knowledge of monte, faro, poker, and other genteel games made him as much a terror behind the green covered table as a pack of highway robbers. While he would not hesitate to fleece some unsuspecting victim in a gentlemanly game, he had no sympathy for any lawbreaker or road agent who would halt a man for his money without the farcical proceeding of having a little bout of cards to win it honorably. One afternoon, while the robberies of the mail coach were at their height, three or four broken-down gamblers sauntered into a saloon and commenced to discuss the last depredation and the modus operandi of those efficient road agents. Prominent among the group was Wall. Each had his theory to advance, and each expressed it freely. The barkeeper said, "'Don't you understand?' a favorite expression of his when excited. "'Don't you understand? The damn rascals don't live a great ways from this camp, and I wouldn't wonder if a few of them don't you understand, are right inside of this shebang now.' "'Don't you understand?' "'I ain't got no sympathy for any such work, "'don't you understand, It would help hang every mother's son of them. "'Don't you understand?' "'Old Sam Bartlett expressed it as "'his opinion that Reuben Jones of Ute Creek knowed all about it "'and was at the head of the gang. "'Wall dipped his oar in occasionally, "'but from his remarks it was apparent "'that his sympathy was rather in favor "'of that style of robbing "'than stealing it through a damned old barrel box "'Words waxed high,' and it was evident there was going to be a difficulty, as Kit Carson used to say. The proprietor saw that trouble would ensue if the conversation was not dropped. So, desirous of putting an end to it, he turned to Wall and said, Wall, we've had enough of this, so come on and have a drink and go home. Wall accepted the invitation, and with a closing remark that he considered the robbers were a damn sight better than some of the genteel thieves who lived right in camp. He walked up to the bar, while the owner from behind said, Wall, what will you have? I'll take whiskey in mine, answered Wall. Glass and bottle were set out, and while the proprietor was mixing a toddy beneath the bar for himself, Wall seized the bottle, poured his glass full to the brim, then deliberately emptied it on the counter with the remark, If you don't like that, why then take your change any way you want it. At the same instant, putting his hand on his hip, as if in the act of drawing his pistol. As quick as thought, the proprietor, knowing the desperate character of the man he had to deal with, "'seized a pistol from behind the bar, "'leveled it, fired, and Wall fell dead. "'Then, immediately stepping from where he was to the front, "'pistol in hand, he emptied the remaining chambers of his revolver "'into the prostrate body. "'He gave himself up at once. "'An examination was shortly held before the alcald, "'where all the facts were elicited, "'and the verdict of the jury was a justifiable homicide. "'Thus ended the career of Wall Henderson,' whose bones are reposing on the little hill above the now abandoned camp, where a score or more of others lie who went out the same way. Thanks for joining us for the story of Wall Henderson by Henry Inman. Hope you enjoyed it. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and this is 1001 Stories from the Old West. Hope you enjoy our show, and if you do, please stop and send us a review. We bring a new episode every two weeks, on Sunday night at 6 p.m. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.